Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. It's time for another extra dosage episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. And I'm Nikki Reitmeyer. Extra dosage episodes are the in-between bits. Special bonus content to get you through until the next full episode. All right, Nikki. So in September, I was in Atlanta for... About 29 hours. Ooh, that is a whirlwind flight. <laughs> you flew from Vancouver to Atlanta, stayed 29 hours, then flew back to Vancouver. Are you crazy? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it was for a good cause. Uh, Atlanta was the site for the very first Parkinson's IQ Plus U event uh, presented by the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Oh, very, very cool. We are very proud to have Parkinson's IQ Plus U as a promotional and content partner of this podcast for this season. Yeah. Yes, and I am the host and moderator of these live events. Ah, oh, that's cool. So how did it go? Uh, well, I, I was amazing, obviously. Naturally, uh, of course. But of course. Uh, you know, I was approached by a lot of people uh, during and after, and some who were newly diagnosed, who this was their first time getting any really information, going to any seminar or anything. Ah, oh, that's and, cool. And they, they just loved it, and they... They they didn't they really appreciated that uh, we were there to to give them that information because it's you know when you get the diagnosis the doctor goes you have Parkinson's any questions you're like yeah yeah about five million <laughs> yeah all of the questions but I'm sorry we're out of time and then you go to the Google and you're like oh you know so so here's people on stage that were neurologists that were researchers that were people like me who have Parkinson's uh, just sort of sh- sharing our stories and, and it, for people who have had PD for a while and s- symptoms are progressing they now get a better handle on what they can do and how to share that information with their doctor. Mm, very cool. So in a very simple way, how would you describe the event? Uh, that's a good question. So I posed that question to Todd Shearer, the CEO of the Michael J. Fox Foundation. I describe the event as a great opportunity for the Parkinson's community to get engaged, to learn information about the latest research and also practical information that they could take on how they can improve their lives today. And I think importantly for people to know there's things that they could be doing right now to make things better. Traditionally, the Michael J. Fox Foundation has been all about research, research, research. And and this is really an outreach to the community. Why is that important? Well, I, I see it all as a continuum that research and treatment and living with Parkinson's is all part of the same goal, which is to improve the lives of people with Parkinson's disease. And we're not going to make the progress that we can with re- in research without a fully engaged community and people being extremely knowledgeable about the opportunities today and what we want the future to look like. So I see this as all part of the same mission of developing new and improved treatments for people with Parkinson's. So been in business since 2000. You've raised uh, coming up on $900 million of research dollars. How's, how, how's it feeling? How's it coming along? I'm 
continue to be extremely optimistic about the progress that's being made. The last few years, we've seen a number of new drugs come to market, new treatments for people with Parkinson's. The pipeline is extremely robust of new treatments being tested in the clinic, but we got to keep our foot to the pedal here and not be satisfied. We want more, and I see a lot of opportunities in the research, and this is our time to keep moving forward. What advice do you have for people with Parkinson's who want to get involved? Well, I think there's a couple of things that people could do. One is focus on what could be done today. Part of the goal of our event today is to understand how can you optimize your care? How could you optimize the life you're having now? But also, we need everyone involved to get those new treatments. And you can get involved as easy as joining up with Fox Insight, which is just going online and telling us how it's going, to being really involved in clinical trials, clinical testing. We're not going to get insights. We're not going to get advances unless people with Parkinson's tell us what's happening. They have all the information that we need. Yeah, so you gotta you gotta volunteer and raise your hand and participate. The, the drugs aren't going to magically appear if we don't if we don't get involved in the process. That's exactly right. Michael Fox has a quote where he says, "Cures don't drop from the the sky. We have to climb up and get them." So it'll take all of us, the research community, the scientists, the clinicians, and importantly, people with Parkinson's, their family members, and we're all on the same team here. So it sounds like it's all about engaging with the community. And from what Todd said, it sounds like this event was a full day of passing along information and really empowering people with PD and their caregivers. Right. And when there were a handful of panel discussions, uh, building your care team from an occupational therapist to a, a physical therapist, a speech therapist, getting involved with your community. And, and what I know now that I wish I knew then, which oh. features people with Parkinson's and their caregivers. That'd be who, really interesting. Yeah, they've been dealing with the disease for a bit of time. Michael Fitz was on that panel. He was diagnosed in 2011, and we both sit on the Michael J. Fox Patient Council. I caught up with him at the end of the day. I think today was awesome, and I think that all of the program, and especially the panel discussions, I think they were extremely helpful, and people got more information than they had before. Why are events like this important? Because oftentimes people don't know where to go for their resources. And once somebody comes to this kind of event, between the speakers that are uh, speaking and telling us things, between the exhibitors that are here for that talk about clinical trials, and just maybe some like a little simple object to, to make something quite easier for you. So it's really, really all-encompassing. And it's a pretty much a one-stop shop, which I think a lot of people would appreciate that. Panel discussions are, I think, are really nice because, as you said earlier, you know, you can get your diagnosis and then go on the internet and Google until your fingers are sore and you're probably just going to drive yourself crazy by falling down this rabbit hole of information that may not apply to you. But going to a panel discussion and hearing people speak to you in, and it feels like it's one-on-one. They're talking to you. You're there listening. I imagine it clarifies so much of that stuff that otherwise you'd read on the Internet and be very confused and scared by. Well, and, you know, they say when you've met one person with Parkinson's, you've met one person with Parkinson's. And so here you get sort of a slice of three or four or five different perspectives of what right. could happen because it's all progressing differently in all of us. And so we, all, we each share different experiences, which I think is helpful uh, rather than reading one opinion you through, you know, Google. Right. You know, going, oh, that's what's going to happen to me. And you can ask people your questions, too. And there were panels featuring scientists, researchers, neurologists. Uh, Dr. Malou Tanzi is a professor of neuroscience and neurology at the University of Florida. And she's excited today about the role inflammation is playing in our understanding of Parkinson's. 
We're very interested in the sort of environmental piece that inflammation and chronic inflammatory diseases could be doing to increase risk and to increase progression. So you talk about inflammation, you can get that in a number of different ways. Stress is one of them. Uh, you talked about it on stage. What role are we learning that stress plays in Parkinson's? Yes, stress is a bad player. Stress tends to immunosuppress you. Stress tends to um, create um, a situation in your body where all the normal pathways are basically slowing down and they become sluggish. So we think that even removal of alpha-synuclein and other toxic species from your brain um, is uh, critical and that stress really dampens those down. So does lack of sleep. And so it's important to manage the stress in your life, especially with a regular uh, regimen of exercise. It is really interesting how much more we're starting to hear about the role that inflammation plays in a lot of different diseases, Parkinson's included, and that the role that stress plays also the importance of exercise in so many different diseases. And sleep. They and should, sleep. So, so those three things, exercise, sleep, and stress, I'm horrible at all of them. So <laughs> uh, there we go, uh, triple whammy for right. Larry. <laughs> But we're working on all of them at the same time. Well, who else did you speak to? Uh, Dr. David Standard is the chair of neurology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. He's excited about all the research going into stopping Parkinson's in its tracks. Well, the big goal here is a a treatment which slows the disease. So uh, most of my patients, and I've asked them this question, I said, if I could tell you that I can't fix your problems, but they won't get any worse, would you be happy? Yeah. And they would all be happy with that result. (laughs) You know, they have tremor, they have some slowness, but that's not actually what's on their mind. What's on their mind is what happens next. What's the future? And if you could tell me that the future is pretty much the same as the present, I'd actually be real happy with that. Well, that's all we're of the stress comes in and just right. re- you get caught up in those future pictures. Right. So it's the future picture that bothers people. So the amount of the energy is in how do we how do we change that? How do we slow the progression of this disease? And, and that's a different way of talking about it because for so many years we were this close to a cure and now kind of backing off that thought process it sounds like. I guess. I mean, I never thought that we would necessarily have a cure that magically erased every aspect of the disease. I just didn't. I mean, that's never been my mindset that that was really likely either achievable or necessary. Um, That, you know, of of course, your magic would be great. But I've always thought that if you could halt the progress of this disease, uh, you would solve 90% of the problem and the remaining 10% we could deal with. So uh, that's never been my frame of reference. So the question is, what are the treatments that might slow the progress of this disease? And there are a number of different ideas out there. I think treatments focused on synuclein are are really interesting. There are a couple of big clinical trials going on right now using antibodies to remove alpha-synuclein from the brain. I don't know if that's going to work or not, but if it does, that would be hugely exciting, and we're going to find out. Those trials are happening. So we now, have people are getting that treatment, and we're going to know what happens. Do we know if the alpha-synuclein is starting in the gut and moving to the brain, or is it both places simultaneously? Uh, we don't really know that. That's an idea that it might start in the gut and move to the brain, but we have no way to see that. We have no way to take a picture and watch the synuclein do anything like that. So it's an interesting idea. Um, There are others who argue that, well, if you do autopsies, you never see it just in the gut without seeing it in the brain as well. And so eh, it's possible it starts in the gut, but um, I don't 
the proof of that is lacking still. What are you learning today? What have you learned so far? What have I learned so far? I think I've learned um, how passionate people are about this research and, and the changes that are going on in the field. You know, the things we're doing today, the treatments we're testing today are things we were doing in mice five years ago. And so it's exciting to see the audience engaged in that. And I hope we've talked a lot about how important it is to get into clinical research. I hope a lot of the people in the room go home and, and go do that. And they can do it in a lot of ways. They could go to their sign up at a, a research center. They can go to Trial Finder and find a trial. Or they can go to Fox Insight and sign up and, and do it all at home. So I think that's exciting. Yes, I love what he said about the progression of the disease, because it's true. I mean, if the doctors were to say to you, okay, well, here's what you have, and it's not going to progress any worse than this, well, eventually you'd be able to come to terms with that. If I knew that it was not going to advance or progress any more than it is today, mm-hmm. that would relieve a lot of the stress. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the stress is, as I was talking to Dr. Standard, is about those future pictures. And so if you remove those future pictures and you just know this is the way things are going to be, then you can plan your life around that. Yeah, that is was very, very true. Oh, and, and a special uh, panel for the newly diagnosed movement disorder specialist, Stuart Factor, a professor of neurology at Emory University and the program director of the movement disorders, uh, simulated a neurology appointment for people newly diagnosed with PD and offered up some advice on stage. Make sure they see an appropriate physician, make sure they exercise regularly and uh, take appropriate medications regularly and try to stay away from um, miracle cures. <laughs> there are none, right? That's right. <laughs> Anything that sounds too good be, to be true probably is. Yeah, I, I get emailed miracle cures all the time. Yep. yep. Uh, what, so do when, I. when you talk about uh, appropriate doctors, we talk about uh, a movement disorder specialist versus a neurologist. What's the difference? Well, I, more training, more experience. I think. Uh, um, It's very good to see a movement disorder physician early because you want to make sure your diagnosis is correct because we do see people who are diagnosed with Parkinson's that don't have Parkinson's. Really? And so you need to make that clear first and then also to guide therapy. In the audience was Drew Burke, and I'd connected with Drew on social media before I'd flew into Atlanta. He's 50 years old. He's a listener to the pod, and he spent the day taking in the event. Why'd you come here today? For the, um, just for the community, for the uh, uh, the support, uh, information, the, the free lunch, the, the free snacks. lunch was good. The yeah, it was really good. Yeah, cookie was awesome. the cookie was the jam. Yeah, it's called a um, it's back. It's a big ass cookie. Is what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, did anything surprise you today? Um, some of the information regarding. Um, um, just some of the, the, the some of the medical research research is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, just um, you read about it, but it's nice to hear some of the uh, the the uh, scientists and some of those researchers like talking about it, adding their their side to it, other than just reading about it on a blog, which would be just like a little snippet. But that there's some actual faces behind what's going on with the research. So, and now, are you involved in any research yet? Currently not. How do you feel about doing that now after today? I'm still working on that. Still, still mulling over it in my brain, and I feel like I've, uh, I'm closer today about um, becoming part of a, a clinical trial than I was, um, say, uh, six months ago. What'd you think of the expo out there? It's good. The, the flow was great. Um, everybody was warm and receptive. Uh, lots of information. Um, um, so, 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 who is out there for people who weren't there? 
Uh, one of my favorites was uh, Davis Finney Foundation. Um, I'm a cyclist by, by trade and by history, so it was great to connect with them. Um, the, uh, um, the Parkinson's uh, boxing, uh, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, a couple of drug companies that, uh, drugs I can't pronounce. Uh, awesome. Just uh, the Parkinson's Foundation, the Michael J. Fox uh, Foundation. Um, so quite a bit. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, That's I think great. there's like 40 vendors or 40 partners Ooh, out there. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for being here, too. You know, we keep hearing the same theme over and over again, but it really keeps boiling down to the support of the community. Yeah, community is really important. I spoke at length with Ellen Bookman. She is a YOPD, a listener to the podcast. She has her own blog at lovelaughlive.online. She lives in the Atlanta area and was helping to man one of the booths in the Partner Expo. We snuck away into a quiet room to talk about PD, exercise, life, community, sharing the diagnosis, and, and, and a lot more. Uh, you switched your blog recently and your Twitter from Laugh Daily to Love, Laugh, Live. Why? Because I, I decided that the most important thing for me to do is to live. And live, it could be living in a fun way, or it could just be living with the diagnosis. And I'm really making an effort to do all the things that I didn't do for. And I hate to say that, that it took a catastrophic diagnosis for me to start living my life, but I did. So I'm getting to ride my friend's horses, which has always been a dream. I am working harder than I ever did. I'm involved in LDBF Boxing for Parkinson's. That's my boxing group. I'm on the board. I work. I also work for a, I work for Central Bark Doggy Daycare, a franchise. I do their PR, so it's 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 gotten to be a little manic, but I'm not unhappy doing all the things that I'm doing. How important is community? Oh, the, the, you know, you can have a therapist, and you can have your doctor, and your husband, and your family, but there is nothing like when I walk into that boxing gym, and it's all like. How you doing today? You know, you, you didn't look so good yesterday. Or what's going on? Or we talk just in general about what's happening. And I learn a lot because I've kind of stopped getting on the Internet and just doing research. I listen to you. I listen to my people at my I've got all these new friends on Twitter. Which is amazing. Oh, th- this group is it's sort of, you know, we're kind of coming together as a community on that side. So I have a lot of different communities, and nobody gets the me as much as my park, the Parkinson's community. How did you go about telling the people in your life that you had Parkinson's? I just went out and kind of blurted it out because I just can't hold anything in. And then I kind of look back and I'm like, oh. But I still, that's how I did it. I just, and I've met people who don't tell people to all their families and I've in boxing and stuff and I'm like go tell your kids it's not fair yeah it's not fair especially adult children it's just not how, how does your daughter deal with it well at the beginning it was just absolute okay you know she's gonna she was probably 24 when I told her and Aaron's wonderful you know she's grown up so much and we've had well we, we had a little recent situation where she just got all agitated and was like, oh, you're going to the wrong doctor. She must have gotten online finally. And she's, and you're on the wrong medication. I'm like, Aaron, how about this? I'm going to make you an appointment and you're going to go see the doctor and he's going to sit down and answer all your questions. 
And she said, okay. And then the next morning, we sat down with her and sort of had, not sort of, but we had a conversation and she was fine. My husband speaking up and saying, you know, this is real, really changed the game. And now it's much more, how are you? It it makes me feel better, but I've learned to kind of tone down. I don't need to tell her every gory detail of having Parkinson's. It makes her have anxiety. So I just, you know, just talk when she wants to talk. What are your symptoms like today? Muscle rigidity during the day, starting in the afternoon, tired. I cannot focus. My desk, like as of this morning, my desk was like a mess and I'm a very neat and very organized person. I've been sending like text messages to the wrong people and I'm, I, I am a very process oriented person and I am like, list, 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 list. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is, what's happening? Like my husband notices I'm very scattered. You know, and it that bothers me. My wife always asks me, so are you accepting of the disease yet or are you still fighting it? No, I'm accepting of it. I, It's sort of like my mom's Alzheimer's. You just have to, you just, I, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? If we fight it, then there's negativism and then there's just depre- more depression or I, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not fighting it. I mean, I'm fighting it, but I'm not going to fight the fight that I don't have it any, you know, that I don't have it. You're not trying to convince yourself that maybe you were misdiagnosed. No, 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 no. I have all the symptoms. And the the part that scares me the most, honestly, is seeing what I could potentially be in years to come. And that scares me, but that doesn't stop me from being with these people, being on the board of my boxing organ. It doesn't stop me from wanting to be with them. I box with a guy, he's 83 years old. He is, I love him. I, he, he's, he's the most wonderful person. And we, we, we've really started talking about, we have, we talk about fatigue. Oh God, it's the worst. And he, and he's 83 and I'm 54 and we're talking together about a symptom of Parkinson's because we don't sleep. So it's, it, that kind of cross generational discussion is just makes me happy. So how do you spend the time when you can't sleep? <laughs> Reading, listening to your podcast, writing my blog. I just, you know, I just get up and I've I've always been a sleeper and I've loved I used to love to sleep. And now I just don't I don't freak out anymore. I don't wake up and have a humongous anxiety attack cuz I can't sleep. I just go. I just, I st- instead of starting my day at normal, like a seven or eight or nine and getting your desk, I may start at four or five. But, you know, I, again, I keep going in a forward direction. Try. She is so determined to keep doing everything that she loves to do until, as she says, that she can't do it anymore. But she also admits that she has some fears and some concerns about her body. Well, yeah, we, we, we connected on that where we both realized we need to slow down at times and take those days off or weeks off. I was just uh, t- texting with her this morning and she's like, I could probably use a month, frankly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 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 but we want to, we don't know how, how long we have to do this. So we want to do everything we can right now yeah. and, and try to keep things as normal as possible. But we do, we, we need to take those breaks because we can't do everything the same way we've always done it. Right. So it's balancing the need to take breaks 
with that fierce determination to keep living your life. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's the key. Uh, there, there's some great examples uh, in the Parkinson's community, people who've had it for 20 and 30 years who are still very active and they've found that balance of figuring out what they can do and what they need to do to care for themselves and, and not letting Parkinson's dominate every thought and every action that they have in their life. So for anyone who is listening to this episode right now and is thinking, oh, that sounded like a really cool event. I wish I was there. Will there be any more opportunities to visit Parkinson's IQ plus U events in the near future? Sure, absolutely. There's a series of events online uh, at the michaeljfox.org uh, slash PDIQ. Uh, through August of 2020, uh, here are some of the sites we'll be visiting. Anaheim, uh, coming up this December. In January, we're in Phoenix, and then South Florida, Chicago, Oakland, and Houston. Uh, and again, details at michaeljfox.org slash PDIQ. I'll be at all these sites, so I can you know, please reach out in advance and say hello, and we can connect while cool. we're there. I want to be sure to uh, acknowledge some of the people that are helping Michael J. Fox Foundation put these on because it, it, it takes a village. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. And, and it takes money. Yeah. <laughs> so, so thank you uh, to uh, Acadia Pharmaceuticals, who is the, the lead sponsor on, the, on these events, with support provided by Voyager Therapeutics, and, and additional members of the Parkinson's Disease Education Consortium. This season, we're also asking you to lend your voice to the pod. Here is what you had to say this week. Thank you for sharing your podcast. It's been amazing listening to them. Um, it's been quite an insight. Um, I'm nine years into the Parkinson's journey, um, longer probably before I was diagnosed. Again, another young onset person at 39. I believe if you don't share your story that no one will learn to care about us. Um, I always believe knowledge is power, so the only way we're going to learn is by teaching each other and sharing our stories because each of, each of us have different journeys, um, or some may be faster, some are slower. Um, I think you're very brave and I thank you very much for being brave and sharing your family and your life and everything with the world. Um, I can feel... Like I understand what you're going through some days and the frustrations that go with it and the anger and the issues and I can sympathise with your family because I can only imagine what they go through too. Um, but yeah, I just think it's great and thank you very much for sharing your life with us and hopefully you'll continue to do so. Thank you. You can leave a voice message online for us at speakpipe.com slash when life gives you Parkinson's. And that is your extra dosage. Coming up on the next episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Do you remember the first time you met Joy? I do. I do. I remember. What's that like? I remember the first time very clearly. I'm Joy Milne. Um, my husband, when he was 45, was diagnosed with Parkinson's. But I, in actual fact, smelt a change in his odor 12 years before that. I was giving a talk, and at the end of my talk, I, you know, I entertained questions. I was very, very nervous about doing this. This is when Joy... And I stood up, and I said, well... Asked me about Parkinson's and the odor of Parkinson's, and... Why are we not using the fairly strong smell of Parkinson's to diagnose it earlier? Yeah, I was just flabbergasted and confused. Total silence in the room. I didn't really understand what she was talking about, but I, I definitely remembered it because it was very unusual. People with Parkinson's have a definite smell. You know, the very first experiment was uh, with uh, 12 people, but we cut the, all the t-shirts in half, so she had to go through 24 samples. She got 11 out of the 12 
people correct. People that didn't have Parkinson's, she said didn't. People that had Parkinson's, she said did. And then um, the one mistake that she made was was a was a healthy control. This particular individual, um, months later, had come to me and said, "Tilo, um, you're going to need to put me in the Parkinson's group because I've just been diagnosed." When Life Gives You Parkinson's is a Curious Cast podcast. Our presenting partner is Parkinson Canada, parkinson.ca. If you'd like to help spread the word, then be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free, of course, to this podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, basically everywhere that you can get your streaming audio. And you can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're everywhere. Uh, Look us up at Parkinson's Pod, at Parkinson's Pod. That's at Parkinson's Pod. And email us, parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. And of course, be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to all of our guests. When Life Gives You Parkinson's is written and hosted by me, Larry Gifford, and Nikki Reitmeyer. Dila Velazquez is our story producer and sound design by Rob Johnston. Keep positive. Keep exercising. And keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.